We're doing a series now called 2020 Hindsight. So we're kind of looking back at some of the things that we had hoped for and were believing for, but sort of got left back there and try to grab hold of those things and also just do a personal inventory. So last week was our vision statement, which is reach up, rise up, reach out. I know that can be a little confusing for people, but I like to cover it a lot. Reach up is a real relationship with the living God is available to you. So we want to grab hold of that relationship with God. We want to start that relationship with God and maintain that relationship with God. A real relationship with the living God is available to you, so reach up. And then rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. We are not the same when we come into contact with the living God. He lifts us up. He changes us. He he washes us clean, frees us from things that hold us back, and launches us into a better future. That's the rise up part. And then reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. We're not just supposed to know about God and hope to go to heaven. We are here to serve the living God in this life, to bring light into places where there is darkness, to bring love where there is strife and hate, to bring the goodness of God into places where there is despair and hurt and pain. We want to reach out, you know, a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. So that was last week. This week, let's talk about a few faith goals and faith to move mountains. We had some faith goals here in 2020. We basically had two categories of faith goals two years ago. One was to increase the love capacity of the church and different strategies for that. And the other was to increase the physical capacity of the, of the church building. We had different ideas, some things that we still have, like having the kids out the whole time. They used to be in during the song service. Now nursery, preschool, and kids church are downstairs in their wing the whole service. And that allowed us to have a little bit more physical space. But the thing that was more important, and right now, you know, the physical space, we're not at that danger zone where we're just jammed. We're in a good solid spot. There's room for you. So you can come on in if you're comfortable meeting in groups, come on in, visit our services. What we always need and what we need now more than ever, I think, is to increase the love capacity of the church. A church that doesn't notice people, that doesn't care about people, that doesn't empower people is a church that's full. You know, if if you can't notice, if you can't care, if you can't empower, then you don't love people. And even if all the seats are empty, you know, your church is full if you can't do that. And so we need to improve the love capacity of the church. And how do we do that? Well, we have kind of two major things and a bunch of other things. So the first one is small groups. Big group is great. Really excited about people coming to church and participating online. That's fantastic. Our digital service, super excited about that. But small groups are very important. Interpersonal connection with fellow believers who can just live life with you. We want to be part of small groups. And we've got 12 small groups starting here. Some have already begun this winter season and uh, excited about having 12 small groups. I'm believing God for more. You know, as the next seasons come, if we can build and grow on that. Another one is our digital opportunities. You know, these services, we've got daily devotions and the podcast that we started comes out every Thursday now. You know, to me, that's maybe a little bit different than 
the old days where it was all about meeting in person. But I do think, you know, you're out there. There are so many people who are out there, you know, who need to be loved and need to be uh, reached out to. And so we're trying to do that through improving our digital footprint through the podcast, trying to make sure that the devotions are good <laughs> and that we have uh, a decent services as well to participate in. So thank you for being part of that and understand uh, we wouldn't do this if, if we didn't care about people that I don't get to meet personally. In the devotions, I'm going through Colossians right now. That's a church that Paul, he'd never met the people. He wrote the book of Colossians to people he'd never met. And I think that's just a beautiful picture. We can love people and care about people and pray for people that we haven't actually met. And so that's where our digital outreaches, our digital ministries are going out to try to increase our love capacity, love people that we haven't met. Then we have some rise up. We got a rise up goal, and that is to increase the number of partners we have here at Good Hope Church. So we've got a progressive membership process at Good Hope. So you might just show up for church and then you're an attender. But if you're starting to give, you're trying to live as a Christian and you want to belong to the church, then you can get into that member spot. You know, Then you become a member of Good Hope. But even at that point, you still have to take the foundations class in order to be able to volunteer and participate in the ministries of Good Hope as a volunteer. You can certainly show up for the ministries, but to lead any ministries, to be part of that, to be a volunteer, you have to take the foundations class. Then after that, we have what we call partners. And these are people who are bought into what Good Hope is about. They're on board with the mission. They're supporting the church through tithes and offerings. They're showing up for stuff. They believe in what we're doing. That's the partners. And that is really the group of people that we lean on to see the church advance and get stronger. So we're trying to improve, increase the number of partners that we have. And we're having a partner class after the foundations class this winter and you can do that online, but that's really, you know, more for people who are able to physically attend, though at this season, it's a little bit weird. But anyway, if you're interested in that, there's online ways to check out what all that is, but that's one of our rise up goals. And then we've got some reach out goals, some things that we want to be able to do. You know, we have two campuses of Good Hope Church. One is our Morgan Park campus, which has not reopened since COVID, still closed. We don't have leadership for there, and our core team is smaller now, you know, since they haven't been meeting, all that. Uh, But we do have financial resources, and I'd love to see something going on in West Duluth again with Good Hope Church. So maybe you're out there and you're like, yeah, well, shoot me an email, Mike at goodhope.ag, and let's get the band back together. Let's make something happen in West Duluth. We need a campus pastor. We need leadership there. We have some resources. We can pay people, but man, it's going to be a lot of work putting everything back together. So we need people. I want to believe God for our West Duluth, Morgan Park, that whole area to have a vibrant ministry. We also have a campus now. We're a parent church of Eagles Landing in Ball Club, and that is a, a wonderful little church on the Leech Lake Reservation that we're partnering with to try to build them up and get them strong. And, you know, there's just a few people there right now, some faithful people. We've got native pastors there now that are serving on Sunday mornings and they're doing a great job. And I'm just believing God for that to get strong, become financially self-sufficient. You know, right now they're just barely, if at all, able to pay the pastors. And there's just just a lot to do there. So I'm believing God for Morgan Park and Ball Club to 
get strong and I really want to see more campuses. I think that there are many, many environments where pastors need a direct support network around them. And that is what our campus model is all about, empowering ministry in difficult places. And I believe it can be done, but we need more campuses in order to have that happen. So there you go. Then we've got our kingdom investments. This is our, our missions arm, our giving out of good hope into, into the world. You know, that's what we're giving towards. We've got different things. I talked about Mike, our missionary, 40 missionaries that we support, missions projects. We're also supporting... Uh, the Lake Geneva Christian Center, our camp, Lake Geneva building project. You know, we pledged $60,000 from Good Hope Church to see that building built. We've already collected over $20,000. The costs, of course, have gone up with that. So we're seeking the Lord on if we should increase our pledge beyond $60,000. Add to that, I'm thinking we probably will. That we want to make sure we get that 60, but I'm believing God for more. Then we've got our Jamaica Farm and Child Sponsorship Program, the New Vision Children's Home over in Christiana, Jamaica. I'll be there in February. Very excited to get back there. First time since the whole pandemic thing started. Be back in Jamaica, be able to check out how the farm is doing because that's the long-term financial plan for the children's home. They've got 36 kids there right now, I think. And if we can get the farm development done, we provide local jobs and we also create a long-term financial stability for the children's home. That's what we want to see. We're at the point where the farm is self-sufficient and benefiting the home, but there's quite a bit of development that needs to happen. And then we sponsor the children there at the children's home. So I'm checking on that. We want that to continue to grow. I want the farm to become able to essentially replace the child sponsorship program so that they don't need us at all, that we can still partner together, work together, see glorious things happen, but I want them to be completely financially self-sufficient. Also, a goal we have at Good Hope Church is to help support every Minnesota Assembly of God missionary. There's over a hundred of them. Right now, we're supporting a good number, but there's a whole lot more that could be supported. That's not just a 2022 goal, but a long-term goal. 2022 Kingdom Investments goal for total giving. Last year, 2021, we were able to give through missions, our 10% that we take off of all general tithes and offerings that goes into our missions fund, special offerings, kingdom investments, all of that total up to $179,000 in 2021. It's just amazing. And our goal for 2022 is, hey, let's round that up to 200,000 and start making it a greater difference around this world. So I imagine you've got some faith goals of your own as well, besides believing with us for these goals at Good Hope Church. And the question then is, how do we do this? How do we accomplish this? It's easy to make a goal. It's hard to accomplish it because dreaming about something happening is fun and easy, but actually seeing it to its finish is difficult. So how do we do that? Well, it means we all step up. We all step up and we have faith to move mountains. Here at Good Hope Church, we have what we call the empowerment model. And what that is, is I want you to reach your fullness in Christ. If you reach your fullness in Christ, then we're all stronger together. And if we can all do that, then the body of Christ is stronger and we reach the goal. So it's about not me doing a whole bunch of different things. It's about me empowering other people who empower other people. And now we have a strong group working together for the kingdom of God. 
That's the empowerment model. It's about people stepping up. It's about you and me. And then it's about all of us having mountain moving faith. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. I want to read verses 22 through 25. We're going to talk about mountain moving faith. So this is something that Jesus said. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. So Jesus is talking about mountain moving faith. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. What does that mean? Does that mean like, Let's all meet at Spirit Mountain and let's throw it into Lake Superior. Is that what that means? I don't take it that way. If God's calling you to do that, give it a shot. Let me know how how it works out. But what I believe Jesus is saying here is that there are things that seem absolutely impossible, but with God, they're possible. I don't think it means we can do anything we want. You know, like you can't just believe to to be able to fly like Superman and then expect to actually be able to fly like Superman. I think that's not going to work out for you. But there are things that seem impossible that you and I are convinced cannot happen. But by faith, through the power of God, it can happen. That's what this mountain moving faith is talking about, is there are things that look impossible, but they are possible through faith in God. I want to look at two steps to having mountain moving faith this week and then two more steps next week because we want to have this mountain moving faith. It's important. It's powerful. We want to have faith to move mountains. We want to trust God, put Mark 11 into practice. So we're going to look at two steps to having mountain moving faith this week and two more next week. And then today we're also going to talk about a dilemma I have on preaching about faith. So let's look at the first two steps, then we'll get to that wonder what that'll be. Here we go. Step number one in having mountain moving faith, you and me, is start where you're at. (laughs) Don't think to yourself, wow, someday when all of a sudden I have a stadium worth of people in front of me, then I will do something important for God. Don't wait. Just start right now. Start where you're at. Start with the little things. In Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12, Jesus says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, Who will give you property of your own? So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, if you want to walk by faith, if you want to make a difference, you got to start with little things. You got to start with things that may not seem very significant. Now, for me, I didn't start serving God with preaching. You know, my first assignment in the church was church cleaning. That was my first assignment, was running the vacuum and cleaning the bathrooms. That was my assignment. That was the first thing I did, run the vacuum, clean the bathrooms. That was my job. And that was great. I loved it. It was fantastic. But I got my church cleaning job after many years of studying the Bible and prayer and seeking the Lord and trying to clean my act up and get myself right. 
Then, you know, it was even years of that before I got to the vacuum and cleaning the toilets place in my life. But I got there after years. And then I got to be a pastor and I started as the interim pastor at the Assembly of God Church in Manoman, Minnesota in the year 2000. I believe it was April of 2000. There were eight people at the church. It was fantastic. We had two Loises and uh, Stanley and I forget everybody else's name, but it was a fantastic time over there in Monoman. And, you know, eight people. Then we planted a church in Big Fork. You know, we're looking at 17 people there. Now we have this wonderful building. We've got a paved parking lot. We've got chairs and a stage. We've got lights. We've got a camera. You know, there's things that are happening now that never would have happened if I had tried to just be here on the first day. I would not be here at all. Don't rush what God is doing. The mountain moves, but sometimes it takes a while and you have to begin with the little things. You got to be faithful in the small things. Do not despise small beginnings. So step number one in having mountain moving faith is to start where you're at. Maybe you start with, okay, I'm going to do 10 minutes of prayer and Bible study every morning. That's the start to the mountain moving. Start where you're at. Take one step forward. That's one of the first steps. One of the keys to having mountain moving faith is start where you're at. Start believing. Number two, second step is persevere in faith. The picture of going to the mountain and saying, be thrown into the sea. You think like, yeah, it would take maybe what, 10 seconds? <laughs> I don't know. It shouldn't take too long, right? If you've been walking with God for a while and you've been believing for something, it doesn't always happen in 10 seconds. You have to persevere. You have to continue on. It will seem impossible even after you have started. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, read from verse 32 to verse 39. This is describing people who need to persevere and seems like they're getting a little discouraged. So here we go. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So this is describing people who stood up at the beginning and said, yeah, you know what? I'm going for it. This is awesome. Doesn't matter what's coming against me, what the obstacles are. I'm fighting through. I got faith. I'm going to make it. And then it was like, don't lose that. You need to persevere. At some point, for most of us, for me, I know, you're driving and you're driving and you're fighting. And then there's that lull. It might be a year down the road. It might be 10 years down the road. It might be 20 years down the road. But then you're like, oh, I've taken too many hits. Uh, this is getting too painful. And you can have a sense of difficulty where you, you might feel discouraged. Going back to my ministry life, 
I talked about, you know, starting with vacuuming, but there was years of prayer and Bible study and trying to get my life right first before I even got to the vacuuming part. Then it was some years of that. Then I went from vacuuming to Sunday school, went from Sunday school to helping with the youth group, went from there to occasionally filling in on Sundays, preaching for my pastor, and from there into getting my minister's license and becoming a pastor of a church of eight people. So this was was my progression. And then after becoming a pastor of a church of eight people, it was about 15 years before I got a legitimate salary. Like I got paid, you know, not the first, like the first three years I worked full-time, then the next seven years I worked part-time. And then now these last 11 years, I've been being paid without working outside But it was about five years into this where then it was like, okay, this is a somewhat reasonable salary, you know, and that was great. It was great to get to that place, but it was a 15-year battle to get there, and there were a lot of financial sacrifices with that. If I'd have quit along the way, I wouldn't be here. You've got to persevere. You know, there's so many things, so many things that you believe for and you have to persevere with. I wrote, how about marriage? Been married 30 years to my wife next year. You know, in the summer, it'll be 31. And uh, I always make the joke, you know, like this year, celebrating 21 years of wedded bliss on our 30th wedding anniversary. (laughs) So you got to persevere through some things because things aren't always perfect. But let me tell you right now, my wife and I are at the, the best place we've ever been. Better than the honeymoon phase. You know, it's a mature beautiful place to be, but oh, wow, there was some things in between. You know, the thing we had right, the thing we got right was commitment. We were committed and faithful. And, you know, you got to fight through because, you know, we can yield to discouragement. We can let life run us over or we can battle against it and overcome. The mountain doesn't move in a minute. We have to persevere. We have to continue. So step one to having mountain moving faith is start where you're at. Don't despise small beginnings. Start with the little things. Number two, you're going to have to persevere. This is going to take some time. The mountain doesn't move in a minute. Sometimes we see the great miracles. I've had my share. Hallelujah for that. But uh, I've also seen a lot of things take a lot of time. And you can get discouraged along the way because it's not just weeks. A lot of times it's years. Sometimes it's decades. And you got to trust God through that. That's part of mountain moving faith is persevering in faith. We'll do step three and four next week. But now I want to talk about my dilemma on teaching about faith, preaching about faith, because I want to stir you up to believe God for great things. That's what I want to do. I want to stir you up and be like, yeah, let's do it. But you want to know what comes with big dreams. You know what comes with big dreams? Failure, (laughs) right? I mean, if you have big dreams, then you will realize that sometimes things don't go right. They don't go how you had planned. They don't go how you had hoped. They don't go how you had expected. And I can't even count the number of things that I've failed at in ministry. And I've had people laugh out loud like, oh yeah, that was a huge mistake. Never should have done that. That was a disaster. I'll say things like that and people will be shocked because for some reason in the church world, you can't say, wow, that didn't work. Wow, I failed at that. Guess what? Sometimes we fail. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes we have this hope and this dream and we have a projection and it's going to happen in two years. And then two years later, it's like, 
There's nothing there. And it was a failure. Big dreams bring failure. You feeling encouraged? You getting excited? Let's keep going because there's something else there. Something else is true. And that is that the more faith that there is, the more faith we walk in, the more we trust God, the more healings there are, the more miracles there are, and the more victories there are. We want to grab hold of those things. We want to build up our faith. But when we walk by faith, we see the difficulties. We see the disappointments. We see the failures. And again, if you're not seeing failures, I think you got a couple things. Either you don't actually have big dreams or you're just too vague. Pray something specific. We will have $200,000 in kingdom investment giving in 2022 at Good Hope Church. We failed at raising our 300 Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. We got 274. But what do you think is going to happen next year? Next year, I think we're going to hit the 300. You know, we didn't hit the goal, but now we're believing for it next time. We didn't make it. Face that. Let it be real have specific prayers. And then when it doesn't happen, you go, okay, well, well, let's move forward. Let's figure this out. We want to have faith because if there's more faith, there's more miracles. God does great and mighty things when his people walk by faith, but there's also failures. Personality wise, I cheer for the underdog. You know what I mean? Like at church, I'm looking for the person who nobody's talking to. I'm looking for the person who seems like they're not getting it. They're, they're not fitting in. They, they feel dejected and alone. I'm looking for them and I'm trying to help them. You know, some people, they're looking for the winner, the one who's going to be awesome and they just ignore everybody else that loses. I care about, you know, all of those and not to call people losers, but you know what I mean? Like the people who aren't winning, I care about them just personality wise. It's, I've always been that way. If I preach on faith, I believe and just drive it home. Let's believe for great and mighty things. Trust God for anything. Then there will be more miracles. There will be more healings. There will be more great victories. But there will also be people who got all excited and were believing God and then it didn't happen. The healing didn't happen. The victory didn't happen. The miracle didn't happen. And my heart breaks for people who are trusting God and stepping out in faith and they sink like Peter when he got out of the boat, but they just go to the bottom of the lake. It breaks my heart and I don't want to see that. And so my dilemma is if I preach on faith, we'll have more miracles. Hallelujah. But we'll also have people who get hurt because they were expecting a miracle and it didn't happen. So what do I do? I could have those people not get hurt by not preaching on faith, but then I'm dishonest about this plan of God and the truths of God. I don't want to be that, but I don't want people to get hurt either. So how do I manage that? Well, I want to go to Acts chapter 12, and then we're going to go to Daniel chapter 3. But Acts chapter 12 is an amazing, amazing story. We'll start with verses 1 through 4, and then we'll talk about what happens in the rest of it. This is Acts chapter 12. We're in the middle of the book of Acts. This is the New Testament church with all the miracles and all the glorious things happening and all these wonderful things, but also lots of challenges and difficulties. Let's look at this. Acts 12, 1 through 4. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Look at that verse two. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That goes by so fast. James, the brother of John, James and John, Boanerges, the sons of thunder, the two of the three closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, there at the transfiguration. This is James. He gets one verse. Yeah, you know, James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And then it moves on. Would that have been disappointing for them to see one of them, one of the insiders with Jesus just arrested and executed? And it was, what was the impact of that? Let's read the rest of this because these were people of faith. These were people who saw miracles. These were people who walked with God. These were people who were disappointed and in significant pain over the loss of their James. Let's read what happens with Peter. Now, Peter's in prison. James was just executed, but Peter's in prison. What's gonna happen? So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So Peter, he's in the prison where they had executed James. He's thinking, well, I'm going to get prepared for uh, being killed here, you know, and he thinks he's having a dream. The angel wakes him up. He walks out of the prison. He's a block away. And all of a sudden the angel leaves. It's the middle of the night. He just finds himself standing there. He's like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's out. Peter thought he was seeing a vision. It was like too much for him to process that, that an angel could come and set him free from the prison, that the miracle could happen because James had just been killed. And what about the rest of them? Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. So what just happened here? They're earnestly praying, as we saw earlier in the chapter for Peter. The angel shows up, brings Peter out of the prison. Peter doesn't realize it's even happening. He thinks he's having a vision. But then when Peter shows up at the prayer meeting where they're praying for him, he knocks on the door and, you know, Rhoda says, oh, it's Peter, goes to tell people and they're like, it can't be Peter. He's in prison. You are out of your mind. They couldn't believe it. And then she's like, no, no, it's him. And so they have some sort of bizarre theological argument, which is part of this whole process of getting it all messed up as well. Oh, it's got to be his angel. I have no idea what they were arguing about with that. Oh, well, it's not him. If it sounds like him, it's his angel. I don't, what is that? Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. 
tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. That, not the same James. What do we learn from this? We learn that God still did miracles even after the death of James, James, the brother of John. God still did miracles, but the people couldn't believe it. I think in their hurt that they experienced when James was executed, their hurt turned into a loss of expectation. Well, we better get used to people dying here. We'll still pray because we're supposed to, but we're not gonna believe that a miracle is gonna happen. They were too hurt to open their heart up to that hope. That's what I think happened. And I think that can happen to us when we face disappointments and hardships, when we're trying to walk by faith, we're believing God to move mountains and then the mountain falls on us and we can be hurt. You know, we're believing God for healing and the person dies. We're believing God for provision and the provision doesn't come. We're believing God for revival and it's just more of the same. You can get disappointed. You can be hurt. You can then lose your expectation. You might not lose your belief in God, but you lose your belief that God's going to do something. Lose that expectation comes out of the hurt. How do we protect ourselves from this emotional reaction to painful disappointments? First thing, so much to say about this, but there's a process of going from naive faith to seasoned faith. And there's suffering in there. A naive faith that thinks everything's going to be easy to seasoned faith. That's a process and suffering is involved in that. So that's step one. You don't want to get derailed during that process. Then I think if we can take the three Hebrew children's perspective from Daniel chapter three, we've got hope to walk through the disappointments of life without losing our expectation of the power of God. So let's go to Daniel chapter three. We're going to read verses 13 through 18. So there were the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not bow down to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar made of himself because they were followers of God, not followers of Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't going to worship him. Nebuchadnezzar did not like that. So he's going to kill them all. So what happened? Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world at that time. He could do anything he wanted. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. How confident does verse 17 sound? He's going to rescue us. But then verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Look at that. You know what? God's going to rescue me from that blazing furnace, Nebuchadnezzar. But even if he doesn't, I don't even care. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to follow almighty God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what they were up against. They trusted in God, but they weren't going to be shaken no matter what happened. It takes powerful faith to believe to be delivered from the blazing furnace. But it takes more faith to not care if you get delivered or not. You know what I mean? To say, I know God can do this and we're trusting God for it and that's gonna be awesome. But hey, if it doesn't happen, it's not gonna shake me. It doesn't really matter. I don't need it to have faith. I don't need it 
to trust God. I don't need it to be whole. I don't need for that thing to happen to justify my relationship with God. I just trust God. I believe in God. The mountain's gonna move. But even if it doesn't, I'm not gonna be shaken. It takes more faith to be in the place where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were than it takes to need the miracle to happen. They believe for it to happen. Read the rest of the chapter. It turns out really good. Uh, if you want to find out how that, how that all went. But I want to pray for God to reveal in our hearts a faith that is not threatened by circumstances. You might be afraid to pray for healing because what if it doesn't happen? Well, what if you didn't need it to happen a certain way and you could just pray and say, well, I was believing God. Didn't turn out how I wanted, but I was trusting God and I'm going to trust God next time too. It takes more faith to walk through the disappointments and keep that faith than it does to need the circumstance to be a particular way. And the the big crazy thing with that is when you believe like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the number of miracles increases. The power of God is shown greater. So let's ask God to show us that type of faith. And if you have believed in the past and the mountain didn't move, but instead it crushed you, I want to I pray for you to overcome and to grab hold of trust and faith and hope again. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, give us mountain moving faith. Help us to trust in you. But Lord, help us to have that greater faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They believed you. They stood up in front of the most powerful man in the world at that time. And they said, we're not going to serve you because our God will deliver us. But they also said, and even if he doesn't, we're not going to follow you. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to be shaken. Lord, reveal in our hearts that kind of faith, a faith that does not need the circumstances to turn out a particular way in order to love you, in order to trust in you, in order to walk by faith, but that trusts you beyond that. Reveal that in our hearts. And Lord, for each one who has been discouraged, even crushed, that total faith crisis that can happen when we're believing you for great and mighty things, and then the devastation comes. Lord, for those, I pray your healing on their hearts. I pray, Lord, you would lift them up and give them hope again, and that you would lead them into the type of faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. Lord, that they could trust in you even when the world is not going the right direction. So Father, encourage us with this. Help us to walk by faith and seek your mighty power. In Jesus' name, amen.